Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. wondered what the gods of our society are, what the idols of our society are. In an article um, that appeared uh, in the BBC's Best of 29 collection, uh, the uh, editor of the New Scientist, Summit Paul Chowdhury, wrote the following. He wrote, today many societies are huge and multicultural. Adherents of many faiths coexist with each other, and with a growing number of people who say they have no religion at all. We obey laws made and enforced by governments, not by God. Secularism is on the rise, with science providing tools to understand and shape the world. Given all that, there's a growing consensus that the future of religion is that it has no future. When, when we look around, it's really easy to think that we live in a post-religious world. Um, uh, people don't really worship anything or anyone anymore. However, when we look more closely, I think that we can see that there are contradictions to this all around us. So in another article for BBC Culture in 2018, the article was entitled, Is Football the Universal Religion? And uh, Kelly Grovia wrote these words, The beautiful game... Football ought to be rechristened the holy game. After all, that is how people who cannot otherwise agree on anything else in the world reverentially regard the sport. And he went on to quote Diego Maradona. Football isn't a game, nor is it a sport. It's a religion. And Pele, football is like a religion to me. I worship the ball and treat it like a god. And for many people across this city today, they are with great pain recognising that football is, <laughs> after the results of last night's game, a religion to them. Celebrity worship syndrome is a thing. It's now recognised as an obsessive addictive disorder in which people become overly involved in the details of a celebrity's life. And one recent study found that a third, a third of the people questioned qualified for this syndrome, celebrity worship syndrome. In the London Evening Standard, there was an article uh, that was described as investigating the new millennials worshipping at the altar of their careers. It was entitled, Is Work the New Religion? The theme here, it claimed young Londoners are increasingly finding community and purpose in their jobs, <clears throat> while fewer are identifying as religious. It went on to explain that we are now turning to our jobs for meaning, community, transcendence, self-actualisation, all of the things that historically we have sought from the traditional religions. And then another article in Time magazine stated, what seems to be happening now is something akin to the worship of our children. This idea was echoed the following year in The Guardian, which said, perhaps now that we've given up on ideology, romance and God, children 
are the last place we can go where we might find some kind of religious relationship. For it seems that they indeed have become an object of our veneration. And then there are the religions of consumerism, materialism, environmentalism. So as we look around us, I think rather than seeing a society that has no God, we see a society that has a multitude of gods and idols that people are choosing to worship. You see, as human beings, we are hardwired to worship God. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something else. There's never a vacuum. There will always be something which is held in such high esteem in our lives that it holds the position that should belong to God. We're looking at two stories at the moment, two stories of two very different people. We're looking at Gideon and we're looking at Ruth. They're two very normal people. They're two people that we can look at and say, actually, there's things about them that are a lot like you and me. And Andy started our journey with Gideon a couple of weeks ago, and that's where we're going to be continuing today. And we've got Gideon and his people, the Israelites, and they're they're in trouble. They've got a problem. They're under attack. Um, Life is not going particularly well for them at this point in time. And the angel of the Lord visits Gideon, as we saw the other week. And basically, God tells Gideon that he has a job to do to save his people to be the hero that we remember Gideon as being. In Judges 6.13, we saw Gideon in conversation with the angel of the Lord and he said, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon knew the stories of God rescuing his people and he wasn't questioning whether God was there, whether God existed. He was asking, why is God not acting now? He doesn't understand and he's looking for answers. And the answer that he comes up with is to place the responsibility on God. God, you've left us, God. What does God say to Gideon? What is God's answer to that question? Well, Interestingly, the Lord doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, what we see is that God told Gideon to save Israel. You be the one. And then in verse 25, where our passage begins today, God gives Gideon his first instruction. And I think that it's in that instruction that we find the answer to the question. First things first. Gideon's first task is to pull down the altar to the false god, to build in its place an altar to the living God and to sacrifice to the Lord on it. You see, the problem wasn't that God had abandoned his people. The problem was that the people had put something else in God's place. They'd begun to worship the gods of the Canaanites. They still believed God. They still called him their God. But their beliefs were not being expressed in a way that distinguished them from the people around them. And this morning, I want to help us see that Gideon became the hero that we know long before he fought any battle. Gideon saved his people before he defeated their physical enemies. And actually, the most important thing that Gideon did, it wasn't the big battle at the end of the story. It wasn't 
gathering an army. It wasn't even the faith that he showed as he trusted God, as God made that army smaller and smaller. You see, all of those things could only happen because of this first thing that Gideon did. The first thing that God asked Gideon to do, get rid of the false God, build an altar to the living God. Gideon fulfilled a great calling in his life because before anything else, he made God the first thing. In his own life and in the life of the people around him, he stopped allowing himself to be distracted, to put other things before God. First things first, he put God back in the place where God belongs. And you'll be pleased to hear that I only have one point this morning, and that is it. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to talk for any less time, but I have one point. Put God back in the place where God belongs. Why is it important? The Israelites had imported the practices of worship from the people around them. It was something that God had strictly told them not to do. God had been very clear. You shall have no other God but me. And God described himself as a jealous God. He required then, and he still requires now, that his people worship him and him alone. The law was really clear. It was very straightforward. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. It was written in their law. They were meant to be a people who were set aside for God and who worshipped him and him alone. And when they entered the land of Canaan, God had given them clear instructions. But what they'd actually done was something different. They had allowed the uh, practices of the people around them to get into them as a people. And they'd begun bowing down to the gods of the Canaanites. So here we are. And God tells Gideon, pull down the altar to Baal, build a proper altar to Yahweh, the living God, the Lord. And the very next verse says this. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. He doesn't question or argue. Now, we know that Gideon is very good at questioning and arguing because we see him doing it quite a lot throughout this story. But he doesn't question and argue here. He gets on and he does it. Yes, he does it by night because he's afraid, but he does it because Gideon recognises when he's told to get rid of the altar to Baal, he recognises something. He has a moment of revelation of truth. Gideon recognised that God hadn't left his people like he thought he had because that was his first response. The Lord has forsaken us. Gideon recognised that actually what's happened here is that the people have turned away from God. They've, they've done exactly what God had told them not to do. They've put something else in God's place. And in doing so, they've distanced themselves from the living God. And Gideon sees the importance of breaking down this altar. It absolutely has to happen because God will not be replaced. There must be nothing. There must be no one else worshipped. And this is, this is a hugely important task that Gideon does here. And it's probably the most important thing that he does in the whole story. Gideon knows he has to complete this successfully. The salvation of his people depends on it. 
in order for Israel to be saved, first things first, they have to remember who they are. They've got to remember who they belong to and they've got to put God back in the place that God belongs. The first and the only one in their hearts. It's the most important thing that Gideon did and it is the most important thing that we can ever do. The thing that makes you and me heroes like Gideon is when we get rid of idols and we put God in his rightful place, both in our own lives and when we encourage others to do the same. When you put God back in the place that God belongs. One point. And that point is where I want us to rest for a little while. And I'm really aware that it's not, it's not a comfortable place to be, is it? But I want us to really hear this and to get hold of it this morning. It's not comfortable when we have to look at our own lives and we have to say, we have to identify the things that we're allowing to take God's place. It's hard. It's painful. But it is so very important, both for us and for the people around us. John Ruskin said this, God will put up with a great many things in the heart of man, in the human heart, sorry, but there's one thing he will not put up with in it, a second place. He who offers God a second place offers him no place. We have a tendency, just like the Israelites did, to allow ourselves to get distracted by the things that are important to the society around us. We have a tendency to forget that we are a people called to be set apart for God. And that means that we're called to have him the first and foremost in our lives. How often do we find ourselves looking just, just exactly like the society around us? How often do we find ourselves valuing exactly the same things that they value, putting things in the same order of priority in our lives as our friends around us who don't know Jesus do? How many of those things that we identified at the beginning there can we see in our own lives as well, taking priority? We often don't live any differently to the culture around us. The values, the priorities of the society we live in become our values and priorities, just as they had done for the Israelites. It's so easy to do. And we need to learn to recognise the things in our society and in our culture, even the things that are specific to our city, to Manchester, that replace God. Because as we recognise those things, we can guard against them becoming idols in our lives. We need to ensure that God has his proper place in our lives. And they're not always things that are as obvious as a foreign God, because that, that would make it really easy, wouldn't it? I mean, if you came to my house and you saw this in the corner of the room, uh, a God from another religion an altar to another God, you would know that there was a problem in my life, that there was an idol um, that needed to be dealt with. That would be really easy, wouldn't it? But the, the reality is that it's not always that easy. Sometimes the things that we idolise, the things that we import from the society around us, they're not bad in and of themselves. It's the way that we elevate them in our lives that becomes a problem. It can be things as simple as your job, sports team, your marriage, 
your desire to have a romantic relationship, your pets, environmentalism, politics, your children, your desire to have children. Even your own personal comfort and happiness can become an idol in your life. When they begin to be more important to you than God himself, more important than intimacy with Jesus Christ, they're not bad things, but when they become the thing, that's a problem. And we've already talked about how the God of Gideon was a jealous God. He insisted that his people had nothing, nobody before him. That God is our God. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And he still requires that he's first and foremost in our affection above everything else. And the human response at this point can be to say, wow, God must be on a massive ego trip to think that. But the reality is that he, he is God. He is God. He has to value himself above everything else because if he didn't, he would not be God. If God is not actually better than every single other thing that has ever existed or could ever exist, he's not worth worshipping or following. He devalues himself. We must remove the other things that are in the way and we must put God back in the place that God belongs. And we have a huge advantage over the Israelites at this point because we've got Jesus. Now Gideon and the Israelites, they knew the law. They knew that they knew the stories, they knew what they'd been taught, but they had no way of knowing God personally for themselves. Their faith was built on following the rules, keeping the law, bringing the right sacrifices at the right time, having the priests come before God on their behalf. But you and I, we have Jesus. And he's done away with all of that. See, he came before God on our behalf once and for all when he died on the cross and he rose again. Job done, it is finished. Jesus makes it possible for us to have that direct relationship with God as our father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. The Bible tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We're told that in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Paul speaks of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So we are able to have a relationship with Jesus, who is God himself. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, to do this. And that, that's quite simply what I want to remind us of this morning. To allow Jesus to be the first and the only one that you worship. Put God back in the place that God belongs now, I want, to, I want to tell you a personal story, which I hope grounds this a bit and brings it into a bit of reality. And then I want to finish by looking at what happens when we choose to do what Gideon did. When my children were very little, um, there they are. Aren't they cute? They were cute. 
When they were very little, I felt God challenging. Everybody's looking at Sophie now and she's cringing. Um, I felt God challenging me on the things that I valued most in my life and on how much I trusted him. You see, like many of us are, I was surrounded by people who uh, were choosing to put various things first in their lives. So it could be their jobs, their nice house, particularly family. This was the challenge for me. It sounds like a great thing, doesn't it? Put family first. I knew people who were moving house in order to get their kids in the right school. I knew people who uh, were following the parenting book by the letter so that they wouldn't go anywhere if it clashed with nap time. And for me personally, I felt such a massive pressure to, to do the same. I felt a huge pressure to conform, to put my children first. Until I felt God challenge me on it and showing me how easy it is to go from valuing and loving your children and doing what's best for them to putting them in a place where they're higher than God in your priorities. Have you, have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody where as you're speaking, you realise you've really got to work out whether you believe what you're saying you ever had a conversation like that? I had one of those conversations at this point in time when my kids were this age. I'd just dropped Hannah off at school. Sophie was a toddler in a pushchair and I was walking from the school gate to the park with a friend of mine and her two little ones. Um, she didn't know Jesus at this point and she was asking me how important is my faith? How important is Jesus in my life? And I answered her, oh, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And she said, what about your kids? What about Phil? And I suddenly realised, wow, I've got to answer this question. And in those few seconds before I gave my answer, I had loads of things going through my head. Is, is what I'm about to say actually true? Do I believe this? Is she going to think that I'm heartless? This is going to change how she views me. Because there was an element of fear in me, just like Gideon had that fear. There was an element of fear because she might judge me that my priorities were different to hers, that my priorities were different to the society around me that says, put your kids first. But I realised that there, there was only one answer to that question and if I didn't believe it right at that moment, I had to get to a point where I believed it really quickly. Yes, I gave her my answer, yes. Jesus is more important to me than Phil and than Hannah and than Sophie or anything else. And I went on to explain to her, you see, he has to be. If he isn't, how can I possibly trust him with those things? How can I trust him to provide if I don't really think that he's big enough to be the first priority in my life? How can I trust that God will love and save my children, that he knows how to care for them if actually they're bigger in my esteem than he is? If God is not big enough for me to value and worship him above my kids and my marriage, then he's not big enough to be the one who will care for them provide for them, save them. So my family is important. I am meant to love them and value them and serve them and I do. 
but I'm not meant to put them before God. He has to be the first in my heart. So what happens when we choose to live that way, when we choose to make the choice that Gideon did and bring down the altar? Well, there's a number of things that happened as a result of that season of life for me personally. A season of recognising that God wanted to be first in my affections, that he wanted to be more important than my family, and that season of learning how to put him there. And probably the most insignificant thing was that I was set free from anxiety over my children. See, often those things that we put in the place of God, those idols, are the things that cause us the most anxiety in our lives as well. And since then, God has, God has asked some pretty big things of us as a family, things that have really tested whether I believe this, whether I, whether I do put him first and trust him with those things. And I've been able to trust God. It's not always been easy, but I've been able to trust God through some massive changes, through moving to new cities, moving to other countries, through uh, even moving Hannah in the middle of her GCSEs. And as many of you know, if you've had conversations with me recently, I still, I'm still having to trust God for my children as they become adults, as they find independence, as they leave home, as they both seem to have decided to pursue dangerous careers, as they find their own faith in God and their own place in the world. It doesn't stop. It's an ongoing thing. But I'm grateful to God because I feel a security and a peace as I do that. And I know it's because he took me through that process gently and lovingly as he does, ensuring that I didn't allow my children to become an idol in my life. See, when we look at anything other than God to be the place where we get our satisfaction, our security, our identity, our significance from... We turn that thing into an idol. We look to other things to give us the things that only God is able to give us. And the danger is that many of these things, they, they almost work. They almost work. We can almost find our identity in our job or in being a mum. We can almost find satisfaction in our success in food or drink a good wage in entertainment we can almost find security in a relationship or in having a nice house or living in the right area but they never fully satisfy they never fully bring the identity satisfaction security and significance that only God can bring when we put God in the place that he alone belongs, the results are both amazing and sometimes quite surprising because God, God actually knows what we need. And he's designed it so that he himself is the source of those needs. And when we put him first, above all of those things, those other anxieties, those other needs, those other desires, they all fall into place. As we put God above other things in our lives, we find that he is the source of satisfaction, of security, of identity and of significance. Here's another interesting thing that happened as, as a result of that, when we choose to live that way. 
Let's go back to that conversation that I had with my friend. I was afraid. I was afraid that she would think... I was afraid of what she was going to think of my answer to that question. I was afraid that she was going to judge me um, because my priorities were different. But about a year later, when that friend had chosen for herself to follow Jesus and she was baptised... At her baptism, she referred back to that conversation and she said that it had been a key moment in her journey towards Jesus. You see, like I suggested right at the start, the world around us is crying out for something that's worth worshipping. There's no vacuum. Something, Something will always be the first in our affection. It will always be the first in the affection of people around us. There'll always be something there. And Gideon, he had to bring the people back to worshipping God and God alone. People are desperate to see that kind of difference. In his recent book, the worship leader Jeremy Riddle said the following. I can hear the earth groaning for something that looks like Jesus, longing for a pure manifestation of the sons and daughters of God in our time. And he goes on to explain that just like Jesus chose to give everything, even his own life, to put God first, that's what our society needs to see in those of us who follow him. That's what makes you a hero like Gideon. Living with nothing before Jesus and demonstrating to the world the faithfulness of God as we do it. And I believe that we have got a unique moment right now to apply this to our lives. This time might actually be unique in the history of the church. We would all agree that COVID has been rubbish. And I think many of us would say that it's been one of the worst years of our lives. But our God is in the business of working all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that is true even of COVID. I think that over the coming months, we're going to see, we're going to see that working out. We're going to begin to see it in different areas of our lives. But right now, I can see it in this area. Let me just quickly take you back in your minds to March 2020, if you don't mind. Do you remember? Remember that time? Schools closed, offices closed, shops closed, pubs and restaurants and gyms closed. International travel stopped, people sent home from work, sports events cancelled, empty stadiums, that's the Etihad, and uh, empty streets everywhere. One of the things, everything changed overnight, didn't it? Not just for us, but across the whole world, everything literally changed overnight. And one of the things that we learnt in that first lockdown that hit us in March last year was we learn what things have the most importance to us. Not just as believers, but as a whole society, we found that our idols, whatever they were, were just stripped away overnight. Suddenly the whole world became aware of what we valued most. We can look back 
and we can see for each one of us personally which things have impacted us most. And we can identify the things that we value above other things. And as painful as it is, I think many of us have become aware simply because of the depth of the impact of losing those things, we've become aware that some of those things had become idols in our own lives. And there's a moment now where we each have a choice to make. As we come out of lockdown, do we go back to what we had before? Do we go back to valuing those things and holding them at the same level of importance as we did before? Or do we now, right now, make the decision that Gideon made? Build the altar to Yahweh, the Lord, the living God, and put him first above everything else. Put God back in the place that God belongs. We have to intentionally put God in his rightful place, because if we don't, we will just go back to worshipping the idols that we had before. I'm going to ask Jamie, do you want to come up, Jamie? It begins with just a moment. It begins with a moment of recognising the problem and putting first things first. It begins with a moment of making a choice. And as we come to worship just now, we can begin to do that. So I'm going to ask it for us to stand. Because let's, let's make this, let's take this moment to choose to be like Gideon, to, to choose to be the hero. It doesn't just impact you, it impacts everyone around you as well. Choose to put God back in the place where God belongs. We might be afraid of what people will think of how people will see us. We might be afraid of what it means to step out of sync with the people and the society around us and what they value and what they prioritise. The reality is that we are a people who are called to have no other gods, to value Jesus, Jesus above everything else. And when we do that, he empowers us, provides for our needs, Let's, let's listen to the warning that Samuel gave the people of God when he said, don't go back to worshipping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They are totally useless. I want to encourage you just at this moment and as we move into worshipping God to respond, to do business with God right now, to recognise those things that you valued too highly, to say to God, I'm going to put you first, God. I want us to join with Paul and declare over every area of our lives, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him things, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.